the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy November 17th, 2020. Was it Larry Elder who said this morning, there's nothing to instill confidence in an election with a lot of irregularities than to learn this morning that 2,600 votes were just discovered that were uncounted in Georgia, the majority for Donald Trump? The great Roger Kimball calls this the Goldfinger Theory. It's partly a matter of what I think of as the Goldfinger Principle. He says, after the avid gold smelter and nuclear weapons amateur, Arik Goldfinger. Goldfinger was a sensitive man. He didn't like it when people began looking into his business ventures with too much curiosity, largely, no doubt, because many were ostentatiously illegal, and in some cases evidence of grandiose homicidal insanity. Nevertheless, his response to the repeated and unscheduled appearance of James Bond in his life prompted him to make the eminently rational observation that once his happenstance, twice coincidence, the third time it's enemy action. Of course, that's a big part of why we hear so much about and so many calls for unity from the Democrats. Resistance is gone. Get up in their faces is gone. Do not concede is gone. It's almost as if the Youngbloods were dictating our new national ethos. Come on, people, now. Smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. Or as Kamala Harris tweeted last week, quote, hope, unity, decency, truth, close quote. George Orwell eerily put it this way, quote, a nation of warriors and fanatics marching forward in perfect unity, all thinking the same thoughts and shouting the same slogans, perpetually working, fighting, triumphing persecuting, close quote. Tyler Cowen puts it this way. What is the current take on foreign interference in the 2020 presidential election? I hardly hear anyone mention this. Was there much? If not, why not? Our sagest minds were warning of this for years, and I heard several national security experts warn me of this but a few weeks ago. There have been hundreds of media articles about the topic. So what is up? I see a few options. One, There was lots of foreign interference again, but things turned out okay, so it's not a major issue. Never mind. Two, President Donald Trump ensured election integrity through vigilance, good policy, and cooperation with Vladimir Putin. Three, local election authorities were alert this time around, and they choked off each and every instance of foreign election interference. Four, the major tech companies were alert this time around, and they choked off each and every instance of foreign election interference. Interference in the sense that they didn't even let the Ruskies spend $60,000 on Facebook ads. Those are such great companies, after all. Five, foreign election interference was never much of a significant issue to begin with. Never mind. Six, foreign powers are now all and each and every country committed to free and fair American elections, and they acted accordingly. To be clear, I'm not asking which is true. I'm asking which one I'm supposed to believe. All to which John Hinderocker adds, here's an idea. Maybe we should make up out of whole cloth the claim 
At the Communist Chinese colluded with Joe Biden in his campaign to swing the election to Biden by organizing groups of activists to collect misaddressed or otherwise available ballots and ballot applications and mail them in by harvesting ballots for Biden and by hacking into various states' electoral software, much as the Russians hacked into the DNC's email system in 2016, and altering vote totals in Biden's favor. We could make up a bunch of fake memos supporting these claims and pull them together in a single document. We could call that document a dossier to make it sound more official. We could then leak the dossier to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. And for the next four years, every news organ in America will devote itself to propagating the claims that we made up. House of Representatives, which should be in Republican hands after 2022, can then impeach the Manchurian candidate for colluding with the Chicoms and stealing the election. All right, some elements of the plan won't work. The press is resolutely on the side of Biden and the Chicoms. But still, the idea that Joe Biden colluded with the Chinese communists, who undoubtedly are eager to see him win the election, is far more plausible than the fantasy that Vladimir Putin wanted the America first candidate to win in 2016. Russia's main interest in American elections is that the U.S. not develop its fossil fuel resources, which is why the Russians have long financed our environmental movement. The Democrats are therefore Putin's party as well as Xi Jinping's. I think there was plenty of chicanery in this year's election, perhaps not including collusion. But when, if ever, will it be exposed? Don't hold your breath. We're still waiting for anything like a full accounting of the chicanery the Democrats pulled off in connection with the 2016 election. Now the question arises, if there's no coverage of what happened, did it happen? Pro-Trump supporters and voters marched by the tens of thousands in Washington, D.C. this past weekend. A lot of them were beaten up. At least one pro-Trump, excuse me, at least one pro-Trump protester was stabbed. Oh, yes, there were arrests, including on gun charges. Why do we not hear there were good people on both sides or some very fine people on both sides? Because the only good people are or were the counter-protesters, the anti-Trump protesters, of course, at least to the mainstream medium, anyway. A friend asked me to watch a video this morning of a D.C. police officer forcing a couple to walk through an energized BLM group rather than via a much shorter route and safer route to their hotel. The father, following police instructions, was punched and beaten as he went through the melee the police forced him to, and the police did not help. My friend asked, do you think most people know about this or have even seen this video? My bigger worry, if they did, would they care? I don't know. I don't think so. My fear and our concern is that large swaths, if not majorities, think Trump supporters deserve to be physically beaten. After all, their lawyers are pressured not to work for the Trump campaign or they will get no more work. Congressmen and congresswomen and columnists for our nation's largest newspapers have said lists of Trump supporters should be kept. They should be taking names. Truth and reconciliation committees have been suggested. And now try and grasp and wrap your head around those who in these very political times yet still did not vote. Some 40 percent or so of the voting eligible public didn't vote. Over 100 million people eligible didn't vote. Are they simply apathetic? Some, a lot, maybe. But in especially charged times, to see over 100 million Americans eligible to vote and not do so is something we need 
as conservatives to work on. We are tasked in making them care about things, are we not? Care enough to be involved? Let's say the typical non-voter doesn't see or think that his or her vote matters and that it's a hassle to go vote anyway. What if they do well enough that they just don't see presidential elections affecting them? Well, we need to find an issue that they do care about or try and communicate the importance of what we think is important. Health care, issues regarding life, race issues, foreign policy, judges, spending, taxes. Just a tentative thought I'm willing to have you talk me out of. We spend a lot of time debating the other side or trying to, or at least trying to answer them. We spend a lot of time bolstering our own points of view and perspectives, talking to each other, but we have neglected maybe a full third of the country and not addressing them where they are or consigning ourselves to not caring about them not caring. Has anyone written anything smart on this? I don't know. But it seems if we're to build our cause and our party, we need to find the apathetic and make them, well, pathetic. Good word, that. It's underused from the Latin patheticus, from Greek pathetikos, subject to feeling, sensitive, capable of emotion, from patheos, liable to suffer. Seems we have too many among us who simply don't care or care enough about others suffering or things they might think are important to worry or suffer about. In the past, we relied on informed and caring citizens based on first children's stories and nursery rhymes and common understandings. We may not have that anymore. Asked by Brian Lamb why he wrote the Book of Virtues back in the 1990s, William Bennett answered, self-discipline, courage, compassion, faith, friendship, the other virtues. It's about the hard realities that constitute the virtues. We used to teach them in the schools. They're important for young people to learn. It's how we instill a sense of right and wrong. Virtue is about the strengthening of the character of the young to restore the notion of moral education to a respectable place in our deliberations. Seems to me if you care about the virtues, you understand there are two ways to maintain them, in the home and in the polis, or city, as the Greeks understood it. And polis is, of course, where the word politics comes from. This is what makes politics so important, to help the home and to help the city or our community. They reinforce each other. But I think too many are apathetic to all this from lack of education in all these things. It just seems to me it's our task to change that. And in so doing, perhaps adding tens and tens and tens of millions to our roles. That's where we need to go next, it seems to me. Hard to care about fellow citizens getting beaten up for a political point of view if you don't care at all about politics or your fellow citizens. Or if you do and you're miseducated, miseducated in it thinking or trained and conditioned to think that those getting beaten up deserved it, had it coming. This is why it's hard to be a conservative. We've talked about this before. It's because we have to push up against the pollutants in the national narrative shaped by so many institutions we've spoken about for years. Their smokestacks are at the same time numbing to too many and toxic to others. We're always trying to clean the air. We have to keep at it. But we also have to reach those, until now, who have not seen a stake in it. As old Abraham Lincoln put it, it's all our territory. Let's treat it that way. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602508-0960 is the number. We can talk more about the election in a moment if you want or anything else. But amazing to me uh, is how much COVID news is being propelled at us and a renewed series of shutdowns, lockdowns, orders, orders about Thanksgiving, Gavin Newsom said, I'm governor of California, said, I'm I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I have to own that after having been found to have violated orders he's imposed on others by going to a very elite and expensive restaurant that takes several weeks, if not months, to get a reservation at. Maybe he has an in. But, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I think meals start at $400 without alcohol there. Meals start there at 400 Yes, he's an imperfect human who just, you know, accidentally made a mistake and went to that restaurant above the capacity he limits others to. This is interesting to me. Front page of the Arizona Republic today. Study finds more than one in 10 Maricopa County residents has been infected with COVID-19. Study finds more than one in 10 Maricopa County residents has been infected with COVID-19. It's an incredible thing because in Maricopa County, if you go to their health board, something like 178,000 or so cases have been reported. This means that well over approaching 500,000, 470,000, close to 500,000 actual cases are in Maricopa County. People being infected and not knowing it or not having um, symptoms. Now, this is interesting for a lot of reasons because we have been told that there is a percent and it might depend on the country, it might depend on the test, it might depend on the community of people who will have COVID and never know it. And that has ranged in the area of somewhere between 10 and in some cases, 80%. With this, and it's really 11%, it's like 10.7% on the serology test that they did in Maricopa County. What this means, do you realize what it means? I'll tell you what it means. You look at the Maricopa County Health Department's COVID death numbers, mortality rate, it changes the mortality rate or the infection fatality ratio. Because, of course, you get that by looking at how many people die from how many people have it, right? And if they're operating on the assumption that there have been 177,000 cases when there really were 470,000 cases, that dramatically lowers your fatality rate, the more, the, the danger of COVID, to you, to an any to a given individual, and of course things change with age, and you know immunocompromised individuals or perhaps comorbidities. But you know, for taking a just gross number, we've been operating in Maricopa County on the rough statement that about two point two percent of those who acquire COVID will succumb to it. With this new study, do you know what it means? It means that two point two goes to eight-tenth of a percent, a reduction in 63%. A 63% reduction in mortality rate. 
Guess what the Republic story never reports? That. That. Just, it just talks about the cases that we've learned about. It just tells you that we found more cases. It never mentions the one thing that you would think would be important. I would think it would be important. We'll discuss more of this with the Hallmans a little later in the show, um, of course. But and there are some problems with the studies that uh, with the study that's been taken. But there's a lot to say about this, and some other communities have been going through the same thing as well. And we'll talk about that. Can you imagine some of the um, some of the orders you're hearing? Philadelphia now has an indoor gathering ban. Governor Cuomo is now talking about limiting. Joe Biden yesterday. Joe Biden. Is anyone going to talk about this? Boy, anytime Donald Trump said something about COVID, fact checks all over the place. All over the place. Usually in one direction. And Twitter labels. Joe Biden says yesterday. If everyone just wore this mask and he's holding it up as he waves it around and puts it back on the podium and holds it and then coughs into his hand, not masked himself and holds it and coughs into his other hand and then holds it again and plays it and plays around with it, waving in there. He says if everyone just wore one of these, we could save 100,000 lives by January 21st. This is in no way possible or credible. First of all, look at the surveys of people who say they wear masks most of the time or where they're supposed to. Second of all, he, the one who's talking about imposing mask mandates, showing us exactly what not to do with a mask, exactly how to get germs on and make your mask ineffective, or even perhaps what would be the word I want, not not necessarily toxic, but unhealthy for you to wear at a minimum. Any, anyone see any fact checks on that anywhere? I saw none. I saw none. I did see the softball questions he was asked, and I did see him talking about restricting Thanksgiving gatherings to no more than 10. Is this what we're coming to now? Is this what we're, we've come to? I hope not. I hope not. Rudy Giuliani's in Pennsylvania arguing case for the Trump campaign there. We'll see what comes of that. Others have been dismissed. There's a few still alive. We're trying to keep up with all of it, and I have more to say about that, and we will. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 minutes past the hour, our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Happy Tuesday, John. Hey, Seth. How's it going? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. You, you, you doing okay? I'm fantastic, yes. You said to me uh, right before the show started, you have a little economic news to report for us. Well, yeah, we did. We had a retail sales report. We saw the market pull back this morning. We had a nice rally yesterday. Uh, But we saw the markets pull back this morning based on retail sales, which was weaker than expected. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also saw, though, on the other side of things, and I'll talk about the retail sales in a minute, uh, housing, again, numbers very strong, very low supply in housing, which is driving prices higher. Uh, Also speaking with a number of different um, 
contractors in the trade of uh, building right now, plumbers, carpenters, electricians, supplies, Seth, are extremely low, we're finding right now. And uh, these these plumbers and electricians, they're having trouble finding and getting the uh, parts that they need to do the work uh, to build homes. It's, it's really amazing what's happening right now. The home builders are knocking it out of the park. Uh, but, again, we're seeing a weak, weaker-than-expected retail sales. On the other flip side of that, though, Walmart reported um, far exceeding their uh, expectations on numbers. And we see companies like Amazon and, and the like all doing very well. So it really is that that smaller, um, you know, maybe a, a single uh, operator-owned shops, those those small shops out there that are really getting getting hurt right now. Do you um, do you look at, uh, or is it just too much of a novelty right now, or too speculative? Something like. Bitcoin. I was noticing its numbers went up hugely to eighteen, something like almost eighteen thousand today, seventeen five anyway. Or is that something a little too speculative for something for for the kinds of analysis you typically do? Well, the cryptocurrencies are uh, an unusual uh, arena okay. for investing. Okay, uh, I would say. And if you are going to invest in those, be just be aware that those are going to be extremely volatile. I'm not, uh, you know, giving advice that you should or shouldn't have them in your right. portfolio. I'm right. just saying you need to be very cautious and careful and understand the risks and, and in any investment that you uh, would, of course, um, put your money sure. in. But those can be extremely volatile. If you look at the charts on, on uh, Bitcoin, oh, yeah. you'll see the tremendous swings yep. that that uh, has had over the years. Mm-hmm. So, um, But, you know, there seems to be more and more interest in them. So, it's um, going to be interesting to plot along when it rises yeah. and when it falls, given certain news and certain mm-hmm. conditions, I think. You bet. Uh, you bet. Joe Biden was talking about uh, yesterday meeting with the heads of uh, several big companies, Microsoft, The Gap, Target, General Motors, our friends at Issues and Insights who came from Investors Business Daily. Right. They were saying maybe those aren't the businesses he should have been meeting with. The Gap closed 230 stores last year. GM sales have yeah. been steadily declining. Uh, declining. Microsoft's glory days might be in the past. If it's an indication right. of what he thinks of as the great American corporation, maybe maybe he should think again. Well, yeah, I mean, he's using them as advisors, and he's uh, you know he apparently was excited to speak with them today. President Trump has been doing that obviously throughout his whole term. Uh, trying to get you know um, some understanding from these large corporations to see if uh, you know they could work together to create jobs, uh, but as as mentioned in the article that you just referenced, uh, combined those four companies lost over ten thousand jobs yeah. in the last four years. So yeah. um, maybe they're not the right company. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's I guess uh, it was Mark Zandi, I guess one of his advisors yeah. who is. Uh, Quoting a couple of things here, but uh, he's been just about wrong on everything yeah. that he's ever predicted. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And, and he's always and he's been around for as long as I can remember. Yeah. My gosh, I remember that name from like 2005. Right, right. So who knows? Uh, but uh, it's going to be an interesting time because when you look at the trends of the market, uh, I was I noticed something uh, when when I looked at the uh, you know what had happened today years ago. One of those things was is uh, this was uh, after the 1921 market crash in 1931. Two years later is when they started to really feel the you know the repercussions of that in the economy. So we're going to have to wait and see what what this uh, COVID 19 issue has really caused 
uh, to the economy over the next year or two. Sounds good, John. Thank you, sir. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Fenrin Sipic and an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Talk Thanks, tomorrow, Seth. Sir. We'll talk tomorrow. You bet. Take Bye-bye. care. Warren Zevon, such a such an interesting story, interesting life, an interesting end. Um, anyway, we can talk about that another time. Bill is always interesting to me, my producer. I saw something in the refrigerator you probably didn't intend for me to see, because you use you stock that refrigerator and freezer pretty well up, don't you? I have never seen you eat protein, and yet there I saw some chicken in there. Yes, your chicken. Yeah, you do. I saw. I don't remember if they were nuggets or cutlets or something, but there was, there was chicken in there. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, I think it's yours. Anyway, <laughs> um, chapter 588 from this year on why I have a very hard time trusting what the Democrats say. They put it in the most grandiose terms of moral seriousness and and um and indignation when they talk about what the republicans are up to and barack obama was interviewed by scott pelly on 60 minutes on sunday of course barack obama is so much more prominent now that he has a book out and he was asked about some of donald trump's voter fraud claims and obama said this quote It is one more step in delegitimizing not just the incoming Biden administration, but democracy generally. I think that there has been this sense over the last several years that literally anything goes and is justified in order to get power. And that's not unique to the United States. There are strong men and dictators around the world who think that I can do anything to stay in power. I can kill people. I can throw them in jail. I can run phony elections. I can suppress journalists. But that's not who we're supposed to be, close quote. I can suppress journalists. I can suppress journalists. But that's not who we're supposed to be. Well, it's interesting how many claims there have been about the war against the media that Donald Trump supposedly waged. But it's worth remembering a few things, and we credit James Freeman of the Wall Street Journal for pointing it out. I've quoted before to you. Donna Priest talking about the use of the Espionage Act by the Barack Obama administration as the greatest single exercise in the curb of free press under any administration she had seen. Donna Priest is a uh, liberal reporter who was honest enough at least to call out the Obama administration. Freeman goes on, Obama's time in office was by no means the paragon of a presidency bound by the rules of a liberal democratic republic. Court documents released in early 2013 showed that the Obama administration secretly monitored Fox News' James Rosen, whom the FBI dubbed a, quote, criminal co-conspirator, despite never having been charged with a crime. Never having been charged with a crime. The Obama administration went much further than anything the Trump administration did, invoking the Espionage Act, to prosecute more people under the law for leaking sensitive information than all 
previous administrations combined. As part of an investigation of the disclosure of information about a botched al-Qaeda terrorist plot, the Obama administration, without notice, obtained the records of 20 AP office phone lines and reports home and, reporters' home and cell phones. 20 Associated Press office phone lines. Also, in Obama's second term, the Justice Department secretly obtained two months of telephone records of reporters and editors for the AP and what the News Cooperative's top, executive call, top executives called, quote, massive and unprecedented intrusion into how the news organizations gather their news. Speaking of massive, unprecedented intrusions and attempts to delegitimize a presidential administration, four years ago this month, Freeman reminds us that the Obama FBI fired Christopher Steele as a confidential source for cause, learning new reasons to doubt his reports, and also learned that he was working on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign, yet still continued to promote his bogus claims of Russian collusion. The Obama administration never came clean on this. Never. Never. Um, and neither did CBS News. Neither did CBS News. Uh, there, there's been a lot of focus on today's hearings with where I gather more and more people are getting their news outside of talk radio but on social media. So you had uh, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg in front of the uh, Senate Judiciary today. And... Dorsey's an interestingly weird cat, if you ever watch him. It, it, there's something very odd about him beyond his look. His responses are very odd. He was asked about Twitter censoring the story about Hunter Biden and his laptops in the New York Post. Dorsey just said, yes, no, it was a mistake and we admitted to it. It was, that's all? It was just a mistake and we admitted to it? It was a mistake, and we admitted to it. But Lindsey Graham had a good point. He said if they are not a publisher and editor, why did they take it upon themselves to refuse to publish and indeed engage in editing the New York Post itself? Of course they're editors and publishers. And by the way, they put designations on conservative posts or, for that matter, even the president. Of course, they're publishers and editors. One of the important things about keeping the Senate will be the import of keeping the pressure on Facebook and Twitter. I, I, I think that is a major battle that we don't talk enough about. I think it's a major battle that we don't talk enough about, especially when you think about this past election and how much it was used. I go back to that, that uh, what I said in my monologue about how it was alleged that Facebook was used by the Russians to put Donald Trump in power. It wasn't. It was never influential towards any votes, and there was no collusion. But interesting, just nothing to be said, nothing to be said at all about what Facebook and Twitter did in this election, particularly in the month before this election, when you had a massive blockbuster story with not anonymous sources, but people on the record and chain of custody and tangible evidence showing some of the worst kind of international 
foreign corruption with the Biden family. And it just, you know, if you were depending on not getting the New York Post and relying on social media, it wouldn't have gotten to you. It just wouldn't have gotten to you. They just, they put a lid on that story. Is that not influence peddling? Is that not is it influencing an election? Of course it is. Of course it is. Guess, guess, guess we won't be hearing about that for four years if Joe Biden becomes president because they got their way. They got what they wanted if he gets to be president. As long as we're talking about the media, I'm sure they're very self-satisfied and happy over the narrative about COVID that they've been able to um, to uh, encrust burn in amber into the public's mind, namely the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talking point that the United States was doing so much worse than the rest of the world. As Paul Mirangoff points out, that was their talking point. And it's false. It's just false. The U.S. has fared about the same health-wise in the pandemic as the nations it makes the most sense to compare the United States to. European countries, for for example, with relatively large populations in big cities whose reporting can be trusted and that have substantial contacts with China. In the U.S., deaths per capita from the virus stand now at about 763 per million. That number is considerably lower than Spain's at 891. It's lower than, though comparable, to the UK's and Italy's. France has fared a little bit better so far. However, with almost as many people dying from the virus per day lately as in the U.S., with a vastly greater population, there's probably a really good chance France will soon reach or surpass the level as as, uh, U.S. deaths per capita. But, you know... With all the talking and comparison, false comparisons, disanalogous comparisons to countries that it made sense to compare ourselves to, that we actually were doing better on the negative side, how many stories, how many stories, how much celebration, how much dancing in the streets has there been about what the U.S. did do that is highly distinct, totally distinct, to other countries, namely the precipice of unloading two vaccines here from Pfizer and Moderna. Donald Trump was scored for saying we would have a vaccine probably by the end of the year. It now looks like he was right, though scorned throughout for saying it. When he announced it last week, CNN and MSNBC, which told us The story of the year was COVID-19, the coronavirus. That was the biggest thing we had to worry about. That more than anything else. They cut away. When he was announcing the vaccine with the head of his coronavirus task force, Mike Pence, whom the media says we don't hear from, they were there. They were given a talk. They had the HHS secretary there. And CNN and MSNBC cut away. Well, now we have two. Now we have two, it looks like. 
compared to every other country that has zero. Good for America. Good for Operation Warp Speed. Good all around. You'd never know it. You'd never know it. It's not just if it bleeds, it leads. It's if it's Republican, it's all bad no matter what, even when it's good. I know it doesn't rhyme, but that's what it is.